Apple of Truth, a currently weekly podcast where we cover every episode of Lucifer while exploring plot holes and admiring the guyliner. Of course, all with love for the show and its creators. I'm Lena. And I'm Vera. And today we're covering Lucifer, Season 1, Episode 9, A Priest Walks Into a Bar. IMDb says, a priest seeks out Lucifer's help when he suspects an underground drug operation has been set up at a neighborhood youth center. Meanwhile, Malcolm manipulates a way to keep an eye on Dan. And that is a very accurate description. That's actually a good description. Surprised. And IMDb so far has been the most competent one. The most entertaining thing about the Amazon descriptions. This time it's a pretty good translation. They didn't copy from last week or anything. So that was nice. Eureka. But Amazon UK phrases it that Lucifer is visited by a priest who seeks his help. And in German, the word they used for visited by a priest is more like he gets haunted by or is plagued by <laughs> like you would use the word like he got visited by an evil spirit oh my god so it has a much more negative connotation which i found hilarious and of course the german name of the episode is much different again it's lucifer and the father the father or a father no 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 it's the father i know in english you say father to the priest in german you say the latin word you say pater oh yeah pater yeah, yeah, same. This episode, the good just keeps on coming. This episode actually is top three episode when it comes to rating for season one episodes. It has a IMDb rating of a 9.1. And the last two episodes are the only episodes with just as high or a higher rating. So the last, oh, last two of the season, not the last two that we saw. Yeah, this is second best because we have two episodes with a rating of 9.1 and one episode with a rating of 9.2. So top three episode. It's such a good episode. I love it so much. Oh my God. I would watch it over and over and over again. I have some info for you that I didn't know either. Also, again, we have obviously the name being name dropped in the episode episode by Lucifer and what I wasn't aware of of course I knew what he was alluding to with the a priest walks into a bar but I put in some research and bar jokes as a thing are a joke genre and because of the structure how the bar joke in general is set up the whole a priest walks into a bar the bartender asks is this a joke is a joke about the whole joke genre in itself so it's super meta but also the whole priest walks into a bar joke very often ghost words pedophilia pederasty the non-fun parts of the Catholic Church. And Lucifer alludes to that several points. The toughest to deal with parts, so we make fun of them. Basically, yeah. IMDb this time had several information that I was not aware of at all. Because Tom Ellis has cited this episode to be one of his all-time favorites. Doesn't surprise me. In a 2019 Q&A that was run on the Lucifer Instagram account, with both Ellis and the two showrunners, Ildi and Joe, Ellis had named Father Frank as a character from the past that he would like to see again, even though he was aware that it would be rather sad, because that would mean that father frank had to be in hell but i like that tom ellis said that this is a character he would like to see again and i actually agree because i really like the character and the last thing that i was not aware and now that i know it it's so obvious the episode is a standalone episode oh that's true well except for the little bits where no everything gets an explanation a base everything except for the parts with dan and malcolm which are kind of tied in into the meta plot but there is so little of that in there but it's all just hinted at so that you are curious but it's not relevant to the episode yeah it's just a slight bit of development so it doesn't leave us high and dry completely of the metal plot and so i really liked it so much for my facts and funs ah i'm so excited to get into this one well then let's get into it okay previously on chloe is getting closer to dan dan has shot malcolm at palmetto malcolm is blackmailing dan Lucifer found out Mace betrayed him, Lucifer is mortal, Ames is waiting for him to get killed, and Lucifer grants favors. It's pretty much the gist of the previously on. And I found it interesting that they make a point in the previously on to point out that everyone is pretty much willing to take a deal with the devil, because then later in the episode, he is the one refusing to offer the deal to Frank. Yeah. 
There is so... Let's just get into it. I don't want to get into it too early because then I'm just going to start... Have at it. ...talk about Frank and how amazing he is. And there is so many quotes that Frank says. And look, I'm not a religious person. Neither. But Frank, if everybody... I have this exact note. If everyone religious was like Frank, I wouldn't have as much of a problem with religion. I would be happily part of a church. I still wouldn't believe, but I would have zero issue with the church if people were like Frank. Exactly. I would just come over to him for chats because he yeah. he clearly has life experience and empathy and is a decent human being and cares and really he is a wise person and I would like to have chats with him 100% so anyway let's have at it with the party at the penthouse we are getting a song there by Kasabian okay. and it's called Easy which I until now I didn't realize it's actually easy but it's spelled E-E-Z E-H oh god I didn't pronounce it aloud until now, so I was just like, okay. Mind blown. But that song <laughs> is neither on YouTube or anywhere else. I couldn't find it anywhere. All the links that I could find were disabled. So I'm sorry, you will not get this song ever. That's kind of sad. It is kind of sad. But that being said, there is so much music in this episode. So many songs that I can let this one go. What I can't let go is that Lucy is turning shitty porn into reality. Why not? Isn't it just so fun? Honestly, this is exactly what I expect of him. Oh, yeah, of course, but I was... Ah, oh, your funny little internet videos. Dude, it's porn. It's not funny little internet videos. We're not talking TikTok. We're talking you porn. But clearly the guy watches them, so... Yes, of course, but still referring to the funny little internet videos when obviously he's speaking about you porn or Pornhub was just... But I like the scene, I like the setup, and I like the contrast that this ginormous party is going on and then... Lucifer's face gets sad. Have you noticed that there's three Britneys now? There was only two last time, so he replaced Mace for another Britney. No. <laughs> no, I didn't realize that he replaced Mace with a Britney, but that's kind of sad. It is kind of sad. I only realized it now, but yeah, there's three Britneys now. You're right. It was two Britneys at Mace, and now it's three Britneys at no Mace. I love the cut, though. The cut to Linda, where it kind of feels like this is all a dream when uh, the Britneys say Lucifer join us and he just says and I didn't and we get his face at Linda's yes I knew it was a memory but it kind of gave me the idea of this didn't actually happen oh no no it, it happened I know it did but yeah but I really like the transition yeah in the whole episode the transitions are really well done mostly the music is the thing that's blending over in between the scenes and sometimes the cuts are especially well done so this is gonna be a praise fest I'm sorry oh Oh, so much. Oh my god. One of the few next sentences is that Lucy does not differentiate between lonely and alone. And I feel like we're heading towards a realization that his excessive sexual activity is just a way to gloss over his emotional loneliness. Yeah. And while I understand why this is a necessary realization for the character in the show, I do have my issues with it because promiscuous people often get judged as being emotionally stunted or cold or whatever and we're not. So I kind of feel two ways about this because Linda as usual is amazing in how she helps Lucifer realize that being lonely and being alone is not the same thing. But also I'm fearful for the future. In particular I loved Linda's definition of a friend. A peer you respect, someone you like to spend time with, someone with whom you share a meaningful connection. As always, it's very accurate and as always, it makes me think who I can define as this. Who fits this description? Yeah, who fits this description in my life? And I hate that about Linda because that makes me think about issues. She's your therapist even though she's a fucking TV character. <laughs> yeah, we said it before. I hate it because it makes me consider my own life. But at the same time, I love it because it gets me to consider my own life. And also it just shows how well she's written that 
her being the therapist of Lucifer actually has an effect of people just listening to what she's saying. It brings me back to the question that I'm pretty sure that we wrote it down. If they have a consultant therapist or psychiatrist on set. No, we have not written that down. We haven't started a list yet of those questions. We should. Otherwise, we're gonna have to go back. We still don't have a date for Lux, so... Yeah, but it's gonna happen. Speaking of Lucifer breaking up with Mace, she still works at Lux. Why? Because where else would she go? Why didn't he throw her out? Why would he? She betrayed his trust. He's not talking to her. He doesn't confide with her. He doesn't spend time with her anymore. He didn't spend time with her before. Not really. And technically he did because they still party together. They still wear a partnership. Now she doesn't get to join the in crowd. But what type of punishment is that? It's worse for her. She betrayed him. And instead of cutting her out of his life, she still my demon tends to bars yeah because I think that this is worse for her because she's there in the reach yet she can't get in she can still watch over him she can still protect him she can do whatever the fuck she wants but he's not gonna have any communication with her I feel like it's worse to know that you can't spend time with someone and yet you still have to see them every single day and I think that's part of his punishment didn't feel like it okay so there was an uh, deleted scene on the DVD okay and I'm not really sure exactly where it would have been put but it's just a short clip of Mezekin sitting in an empty bar by herself drinking looking completely fucked up well this would put it in a different context yes yes so that's why I'm telling you that's why I am viewing it the way I am because I know that it's there which makes way more sense then because without us seeing Maze feeling rejected and suffering while being at Lux there's no indication because when she stops him she's like yeah I know you're not talking to me but you have to see this but it's basically like I don't care and I'm still talking to you and now go there and do this to me this whole episode for Mace is more I'm trying to find any kind of a way to have a conversation with you and even at the end when they ask her about the phone oh so now you're talking to me yeah yeah so like even though she's being sassy to him she's like yes this is happening yes I'm so excited that I can talk to you it never felt to me that she was happy about it it felt like there was zero consequence I think we're gonna get to talk about this a little bit more in a future episodes but yes I think that at this episode the reason for this is that he is punishing her by breaking up with her and yet keeping her around like I said for me it doesn't feel like a punishment at all while I realized that in the end we get an answer to this I wondered in the very first moments if Father Frank believed who Lucifer was. Because he never states it outright in the beginning. He does so in the end. Mm -hmm. But he addresses Lucifer as Lucifer and makes no jokes about it or anything. From the beginning on, I was very curious if he actually believed that Lucifer Morningstar is the devil incarnate or if he thought that he was just like someone with connections or anything. Literally, my first note on uh, Frank is I like Father Frank. He just somehow makes me trust him straight away. I don't know if it's just the actor being really good or the character being written very well. It's a combination of both, I'm sure. Probably. But I, the energy between the two of them is really good because Father Frank is very calm and collected. And even though he is forced to reveal his darkest desire or even though he is there to argue and get a deal from a devil, he is a very kind of straightforward, calm energy against Lucifer, who's really annoyed and he doesn't want to have anything to do with anything that connects to his father right now and he's getting very impatient so the whole energy just works really well for me so it's the contrast and everything absolutely the scene is very well set up once again at the youth center we get the negative child comment with the wild children and i still have my question as to why lucifer dislikes children i found it hilarious that Lucifer inadvertently brought Chloe to a murder case. That was really, really well done. Yeah. And I really like the transition. We go into the title card and then it's a crime scene. We're still at the exact same place, but now X amount of time has passed and the scene is now a crime scene. And this is not the only time that it happened in this episode, actually. Yes. And I really, really like it. And I kind of hope they stick with it because it flows really well. I have to say that just before we discovered the body, Chloe he kicks down the door. Yes, and he's so into this. I 
love how seamless she makes it look because every time you see something like that on telly it just looks like they have to take a really big like running up to it and like kick it down with their whole body and she just does it so freely like straight away just kicks down the door like nobody's business like nothing actually is happening and it feels way more realistic but it also still looks very very good it's so badass yeah and lucy is so into it so yeah i just wanted to point that out before we get into the crime scene we have lucifer calling the father padre pederast which i found interesting and very good that lucifer is actually using the correct term for suggesting an sexual interest by the priest into connor because connor is not a prepubescent child which would be pedophilia but is an adolescent and thus would make the father a pederast and it's very rare that you get the distinction between the two yeah I didn't know there was a difference. The main difference is that a pedophile has sexual interest into a non-sexually developed child and a pederast has a sexual interest into while still underage and young but already sexually developed okay this difference is actually really really curious and it so often gets gotten wrong because pederasts get grouped in with pedophiles which is not good yep fun topic not sorry so I just wanted to point out this little detail that with knowing the ending of the episode makes absolute sense. And I would not pick up on it if I wouldn't have watched it before a few times. And it's the fact that Eric, the counselor, uses Connor and Nikki as his alibi for the murder. True. Which is a massive red flag and it absolutely makes sense. But just because we know that he is the spider. I actually didn't catch that, even though I've seen this episode before. You're absolutely right. Yeah, this is the first time I caught it as well. Also, when they're interviewing Connor and Nikki, it's clear from the very first moment when they mentioned Frank that Connor cares about him that he is into something that is probably not the best and he's not in the best headspace right now but actually first thing he says about father frank is oh no absolutely not he would never have been able to do that so it just kind of shows that there is a little bit of a deeper relationship that we're led to believe yeah. at this point and that he actually knows frank a little bit better or like that he cares about him a little bit more than it would make sense from what we know about their relationship so far yep my only issue is that for me the connor actor is the weakest link of the entire episode which it's not hard because the entire episode is so good and the actor for frank is so good and the story is great and everything so it's not that he's bad he's just not as good as the rest in this episode which is not his fault he's surrounded by greatness in this episode what I found as kind of an amazing eye-opener is that Lucifer is so persistent about Frank being the killer that it means that he's not. Every time he is super sure about something at the beginning, it turns out that he was absolutely wrong. Yes, basically his instinct works the opposite way than Chloe's does. Exactly. Which makes him a really good match. Let's talk about scene five at the precinct. I felt for Lucifer when Chloe is basically sending him off to talk with Dan and it shows on his face that he's not happy with it. And as painful as this moment was for him, I really liked the timing and the setup of him going into the elevator and Malcolm coming out and just looking at him. And I know I said it before and I'm gonna say it probably way more often. Fuck, that dude is creepy. Also, now you know that he was on Buffy. And he's also a fucking asshole at Buffy. He has a face for it. I believe that he might be a nice person in a real life, but... I actually would like to meet the actor to find out how he feels about being typecast as such a horrible person. I really like the confrontation between Dan and Malcolm. The tension is really, really good. Also, I'm curious about your Dan rant coming up because I can see it in your face. I like that Dan is confirmed as not a good cop, but also not this superbly shit corrupt cop. Looking away a few times is not the same as being bribable or collaborating with criminals or something. But I would still classify it as a dirty cop. That's something we can discuss on a scale between Malcolm and Chloe. He's closer to Malcolm than he is to Chloe, but he's not anywhere near as bad as Malcolm. But if Chloe is the one and Malcolm is the ten, then I would put Dan on a six and a half, probably. Yeah, but that still doesn't make him a good guy. It's just, I, I have feelings. No, 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 no. You know what makes this scene 
seen or this whole situation so much better for me because I was right. And I'm in all caps. Dan shot Malcolm to protect Chloe because otherwise Malcolm would have shot her. And I say 10 points to Gryffindor or whatever house Dan is in. He is not a Gryffindor. I don't know in what house he would be. I have no idea. I still do have a question though. Gone. Why was Dan there in the first place? Did he follow Malcolm or did he follow Chloe? Well, if his motivation to shoot Malcolm was to protect Chloe, he must have known that Chloe's there. So logically, I would go with that he is there following Chloe. But then how did he know about the secret way and the trapdoor and everything? So this whole thing still doesn't completely check out for me. I'm waiting for the conversation that inevitably must happen where Dan's gonna admit to Chloe what he did. Oh, do you think he's gonna tell her? Do you think she's gonna find out? Because that would be so different. Because if he comes clean to her, he will have a chance that she might be forgiving. But if she finds out, he's gonna be done. Yep. She's not gonna get over that. I cannot see her get over that. Well, we'll see. I think that he really wants to come clean to her right now. So I can see a situation where he would come out and tell her. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm really, really curious. There is one moment in their conversation that... It distracts me every time I watch it. I know what happens and I know that it doesn't happen. But do you know when you like watch somebody eat something and you expect them to get the jam slush out and like he has the jam stuck in his mustache and it's so disturbing. Yeah, it looks a little bit like blood and it's just... <sighs> The whole him eating the donut, it just wakens something in me. Because very often eating in a like a messy way is depicted as a kind of a gross quality of like a supervillains or negative characters. I find it menacing in this moment that he's eating something blood colored while threatening Dan. So oh I am hundred percent sure that he is deliberately choosing to do this right now. I would not be surprised. Yeah. To wrap up scene five, the whole I need you to borrow something from evidence. This is gonna come back and bite Dan in the ass. Mm -hmm. It's so obvious. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even matter what he has to borrow from it. It wouldn't matter what it is. But this is gonna bite Dan in the ass. Period. Yep. To be honest, I can't wait. Malcolm's being quite smart about this, to be honest. Yes. I like that we're going to a church next. Yay! I call this one Confession Time. And we get a really good song, which is by Strange Daddy and it's called Voodoo Hack. I know, it's great. It's a really good song. It's very Lucifer. So Lucifer either goes to like a more electronic type of music, which is usually playing in Lux, or it goes into like a swingy type of, or this type of a poppy kind of a music. And I kind of enjoy both, but this is the first more joyful song in this episode. So yeah, I like this one. With hilarious timing because joy and church. Yay! I find it very Lucifer that he sees the confession booth and goes right in there. This is very fitting. And he's not wrong about how confession works. <laughs> Just go do the thing and then come back and apologize. Which is also why I am not a fan of the whole confession thing. Because there's no consequences. Yeah, if the idea of being able to wash away your sins is correct, why have sins in the first place? Basically, yeah. If you just have to apologize and pray 17 Hail Marys and make maybe donate some money to the church and then you're scot-free again and up to heaven you go, it kind of defeats the point. Yeah. I much prefer religions who have the approach that being a good person is a constant piece of work and in the end, the entirety of your actions are going to be judged. Like the Egyptians had that with your heart being weighed against a feather mm -hmm. and if your heart was heavier than the feather because of the bad deeds that you had done, you were sent basically into hell. Yeah, very simplistically, yes. I like this that you are the sum of your actions and that you do not get like a reset button every time you go to fucking confession. Even though I like his penance that he puts on her. Ten Bloody Marys and a good shag. Even, oh God, Ten Bloody Marys. Oh, my body would not be happy with that. Too much tomato juice. The vodka I can handle, but not tomato juice. <laughs> yep. But it's genuinely, I just don't understand the whole principle of sins. If you have this blank sheet attached to your life, you can reset anytime you want. It's just, it just doesn't make any sense. What is the point of it? I don't understand so many things about religion, but this would be a long ass tangent. We can go on this tangent in one episode where we don't talk too much. Yeah, we're already... <laughs> Keep it for the future. Yeah. Okay. 
we have a quick cut down to the parking garage and then we go back to the church. So we now finally have official confirmation that it was a manadeal. Well, we knew that he brought Malcolm back. No, we didn't know. We very strongly assumed. Well, we saw him do it. We didn't see him do shit. We saw him stand in front of the bed and then go away. Yes, but we didn't know, no. Okay, if you want like a physical evidence, yes. It wasn't spelled out to us. Keep in mind, this is for an American audience. I think Lucifer is a quite intellectual show, considering it's for American. It actually expects you to follow the plot and be aware and see things and stuff. I actually went on like short search for answers, which I did not get and I will not get. What was the question? It's a bunch of them there. It pretty much just goes, what is the task? Well, we're gonna get an answer to that. But Ames is going really strongly for the ends justifies the means. But what is sin? And maybe is it forgivable? Which sin is unforgivable? And what Ames is doing, is it forgivable if he accomplishes his goal? That is kind of the end question I ended up with. I went in a very similar direction because Ames literally says that patience is not one of his virtues. But isn't the absence of a virtue already putting you on the path of sin? That is an interesting... Especially when you're an angel and you're supposed to be this pure, perfect, God-abiding being. So I found this super interesting that he literally says, not my virtue. This ties in into what you said. What sin is forgivable and how does the end justifying the means work? And this actually depends on how you read certain values and definitions in Bible and connected works. Because non-believers, heathens, rarely count as bad points. It's not murder when you kill someone who's not part of your faith. You have all those loopholes. Mm-hmm. So I would not be surprised if a Manadiel truly believes that he is doing the right thing because this is gonna lead to Lucifer going back to hell and putting things the way they are supposed to be. So basically just getting rid of an aberration. He's being very righteous. Yes. But I actually think that in the canon that has been shown in Lucifer so far, that no sin is forgivable. Christianity is supposed to be a compassion religion, to have compassion with your fellow man. Which is what Frank is doing. And you're absolutely right, right? He's doing the good version of this. But for many people, at least in my experience, it's also a religion of self-pity. Which is kind of what Amenadiel is doing. Exactly. So in this episode, we have this juxtaposition of Frank being the best kind of Christian that you can be, while actually having a criminal past, has experienced trauma and used to be a broken person. And on the other hand, you have the worst type of Christian that you can be, which is a Manadiel, who's a fucking angel. Who is the one who is supposed to be the true Christian in theory? Exactly. So I really like how they set this up. Yeah. This is one of the reasons why this episode is so good, in my opinion. Because even the meta plot gives us tie-ins into this episode by showing us those differences. Wow, we just analyzed the shit out of that. And also, to conclude the parking garage moment, Ames is fallen! Fallen! We've said this before and we're probably gonna be saying this again, but Ames' descent into sin. I'm just waiting for him to... Explode. Grow horns or something. I know that Lucifer doesn't have horns, but... Yeah, or like take over the devil's face. He is technically subbing for Lucifer now, so he is technically subbing for the devil. Devil, right? I did wonder why Lucifer's angel wings kept being angel wings. I would have expected devil wings or something. We're back at church and I have to award 10 points for Chloe for reacting so fast and competent and saving three lives, her own, Lucifer's and Frank's. Plus, even though this all happens so far, she, she still manages to get a partial plate. And we also, again, get this super nice cut of a normal scene now turning into a crime scene. So you need to get out of my notes because otherwise I won't have any anything to say. Oh, we can turn it around and you simply keep on talking about the next scene. I'm gonna be talking about the next scene a lot because there is like 50,000 songs in that segment. But before we get to the next scene, a 
another 10 points for Chloe because not only she saves people with her reflexes, not only she gets the partial of the plate, but also then when she talks to Frank again, she analyzes the situation into his face so well that he confesses to the note he got, he confesses to all the details of why he was attacked, and he tells them about the spider. And this is all because Chloe is a good cop and the way she approached the situation and the interview. Like I said before, I don't like it when they make people look smart by making other people look dumb. And in this episode, I don't feel like they had to resort to this at all. So I'm really, really happy with the writing The person who wrote this episode is gonna write a few more, I think like eight credits in total for a writer. But this is the first writing credit on Lucifer that they have. But when they show up again, I'm gonna be like, okay, this episode is written by the dude or woman, I don't actually remember, who wrote A Priest Walks Into a Bar. So expectations are gonna be sky high. Yep. So I named the next scene Lucy's Protection. And... So the first song, I kind of love that they sort of kind of mentioned the song later a minute into the scene where Frank is sitting there listening to the song with his eyes closed and Lucifer asks him, are you not bothered by all this? And he says, I just love this song. And the song is called Do Ya Tang by Leo Sol. And it's just kind of hilarious. Like, it's a good song. Don't get me wrong, but... No, what you expect a a priest to be into. Yeah, and it just kind of plays into the whole situation because then we have a little cut and we finally get Frank's backstory. And we get another song, which is called Freaks. And it's by Machines Are People Too. And this whole segment is just riddled with music. And it's the whole Frank's backstory is really strong. And it just makes you sympathize with him even more. If I didn't love him by now, I would now. Question. The father refused police protection because he said the church is a sanctuary. Why did he agree to go to Lux? I think he feels like there's something connecting him and Lucifer at this moment. So it's more about him doing something for Lucifer. Without Lucifer actually knowing it. Yes, I can live with that. That is kind of what I gathered. I liked the info and backstory that Frank and Connor had this connection because now his behavior in retrospect makes even more sense. And when he tells the story, props to Lauren German, because her face when he tells the story about his daughter dying is pure empathy and it's not even a second that we see her face and it's really well done so i appreciated it we get another sight hit against kids with god stole your spawn so far we haven't had a single instance of lucifer referring to children in a non-negative way even in this setting which just adds more fuel to my why and i have another question lucifer says to the uh, god's plan statement of frank he says Yes, I know, but why does everybody always think it's a good plan? Question, does that mean that Lucifer knows that there actually is a plan? Or does he know the actual plan? And this means why he knows it's not a good plan? Or does he not know that there is an actual plan? I think if I connected with what we get a little bit later on about the plan as well in the episode. I think that he knows there's a plan and he assumes that it's a bad plan because of what happened to him. He doesn't look at it as a one big plan for everybody. He kind of more thinks of it, God has a plan for you and God had a plan for me. And individually, we all have our own, but he doesn't look at the overall picture. So it would, to me, explain why he is so convinced that it's a bad plan because he has suffered through his life. And if this is a plan... It has to be a shitty plan. It was just mean. And I'm really curious how much free will is gonna be made clear in the future. Lucifer, for me, he acknowledges that there is a plan. And that gives huge problems with the whole free will issue. So I'm very curious. (laughs) I agree. I'm curious about how we're gonna progress on that front. Up to the penthouse next. Okay. Obviously, the reason why we go to the penthouse is that Lucifer challenges Frank to playing piano off. 
for me it's a big moment until now Frank started to grow on Lucifer but he wasn't Lucifer still hasn't accepted him fully but when they start playing together he starts thinking of him as a peer as a real friend and in all the ways that Linda describes it he becomes so human next to him the way his face opens up and his body relaxes when he switches seats yeah with the father there's such a lightness to this the significance of the songs that they're playing as well what do they play Frank first starts playing Knocking on Heaven's Door oh yeah right I remember that which is a very good song it's written by Bob Dylan and it was covered over the years by Eric Clapton Guns N' Roses Roger Waters it's a very popular song to be covered and everybody knows it Dylan was actually asked to compose some songs for a Western movie originally, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid in 1973. And that was why he composed Knocking on Heaven's Door. And he actually made a few different versions that made it on the soundtrack. And then there was a different version that was actually the album version. And that is what we know. But I think it's very saying that Frank starts playing this. It's not just this being Heaven's Door, Knocking on Heaven's Door type of a song. But the fact that he is accepting his faith and whatever is going to happen to him very freely and very openly and that's going to then mirror to the end of the episode and Lucifer playing this particular song on piano again at the end. But he just kind of gives us a little hint and Lucifer doesn't want that so he comes in with a piano riff which is from a song that's called Mess Around. And it was Ray Charles is one of the biggest hits that he have recorded. Oh, and Ray Charles. What a genius. Exactly. It was not written by Ray Charles, which very often would be assumed because it is technically his song. It was written by Ahmed Ertegun. Okay. And it was recording in 1953. But... As it is usual with music like this, the piano riff itself that Tom Ellis starts to play in the episode has been allegedly heard around New Orleans since the early 1930s. So riff itself has been kind of flowing around and then in 1953 it was written into the song that... Ray Charles has performed and recorded in 1953 which is kind of interesting this type of music has a really rich history and I love it Mm -hmm. but again it's called mess around and they are messing around in that moment they're being playful exactly and it pretty much again plays into the situation that is happening in the penthouse Lucifer being very friendly and opening himself up to somebody new and somebody else but women in his life because he is genuinely he doesn't really have any guy friends not so far that we've seen. So him opening up to somebody who is not potentially somebody to sleep with. Well, he does sleep with guys as well, but you actually make a really good point. All the people in Lucifer's life who are of any kind of significance are women except his brother. And he either sleeps with them slash slept with them or he tried. And Frank is not in that category. So it's just a new relationship to Lucifer. And I think that's why it hits him so hard in the end that Frank dies because he does not know how to deal with that. He has never had that. Maybe he had it when he was back in the garden before he fell. But he hasn't had that type of a relationship with anyone for thousands and thousands of years. He genuinely likes the father without having any type of ulterior motive. In the beginning of the episode, his ulterior motive is to prove that Frank is a bad person to stick it to his dad. And what I found interesting, Lucifer didn't have to take Frank up to his penthouse. He could have had the piano playoff down at Lux because he has played piano in Lux before when the mood struck him. But instead, he deliberately takes Frank into the intimacy that is upstairs, which I found is the first obvious sign. It's the second. It's the first is like, okay, father, come over to Lux and I'm going to protect you there. And the second is, hey, let's leave the party that I set up to make you explicit uncomfortable let's leave that behind and go upstairs where it's quiet and we can be with just each other and get to know each other better so i really felt like this was a a, a nice visualization of lucifer opening up i like the bit that the father mentioned that he opened for dylan and then he plays dylan 
when Chloe comes to pick up Lucifer to follow up on the lead, he is like she found him doing something forbidden. He gets up, puts physical distance between himself and Frank. His facial expression is very much like, oh, I was not supposed to be doing this. And I find this interesting on very, very many levels. And it absolutely plays into what we were just saying earlier. He is not used to having any kind of a relationship like that. He also puts on, he still puts on a performance for Chloe, which at the end of the episode, when she comes to him, he does it again. He tries, but it's starting to fail. It's starting to crack, which I think is fundamental for their relation to each other. So scene 10 is one of the best scenes in the episode. In the show so far. Yeah, because this is the best episode of the show so far. So, duh. This scene, for me, is the reason why, at the end of the episode, it really gets to me. Yeah. So, following the lead. Following the lead. We get another song! (laughs) No! (laughs) How many fucking songs are in this episode? There is so many songs in this. I think that's the pretty much second last one. Oh, okay. Well, technically, it's the last one. It's called Gypsy Cap. And it's by Steve Conte and The Crazy Truth. Again, a more upbeat type of a song as we're coming into the skateboarder thing. Because I know I'm cool, I'm done with the kids, and I know how that's called, right? It's a half pipe, basically, what they're in. Sure, whatever you say, Lina. I know it's the end of the escape thingy scene, but why the fuck would you pull a gun? I actually found it quite smart because the only way to them was through the cage. And the cage only had small doors. And when he shot up, everybody started running away outside of the cage. So it stopped Lucifer and Chloe in following Connor and Nikki. And therefore, it was much easier for them to get lost. You're absolutely right. I didn't think of that. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's fine. It's in my notes. I was gonna say it anyway. Yeah, I have. How is pulling a gun a smart move? Input answer, Meryl. <laughs> but then uh, another of my aha moments was now we know in the episode that Connor and Nikki are both involved into the drug trade. Therefore, it makes absolute sense for Eric to be the killer and use both of them as an alibi. So again, it confirmed my suspicion from the beginning. Mm -hmm. For me, I didn't think of that in that moment, but it was like, dun, dun, dun. Who could have seen coming that it was Connor behind the wheel? For me, that was obvious, but I know I did not remember that it was fucking Eric who was the spider. We go back to the penthouse. And the most adorable moment comes in when Lucifer pours three glasses of whiskey and walks up to them really excited to share a drink with his friends and they both leave him fucking hanging yeah it's so sad it's so painful and you can see it in his face he's so excited and then they both refuse and he's just like Whoa. I actually kind of expected him to just down the glass and grab another one. I really like the view that we now get from his penthouse. Is this the first time we actually seen that green screen? That we really focused on it. It has been teased before, but that we have the camera behind the two of them looking onwards. They talk about having faith in God, not having faith in God. And Frank says why he does not put his faith in God. And Lucifer goes, because he didn't have faith in me. Basically, the turnabout fair. He didn't have faith in me, so I don't have faith in him. And so I do wonder, to what is Lucifer referencing here? In what part did God not have faith in Lucifer? Is this a reference to his rebellion? Yeah, I think so. That he was right and God should have listened to him. But then we would need the exact information what his rebellion was about. Was it about his fall? I think it was about him standing up to his father about humanity and them being not good. But he enjoys humans. In this setup, yes. I don't know. We don't have the details. But the way I see this and explain this to myself is that he has stood up against humanity and that's why he fell, right? That's why God casted him out of heaven. It depends. Yeah, well, that's why I'm saying that's my perception of the of the situation right now. The thing is, depending on what basis you go off, his rebellion could have been to give free will to humanity, which would be a pro-human devil. Of course, them getting kicked out of heaven still sucks, but having choice and free will and yada yada could be viewed as a positive perception of humanity for him, which would work well with his enjoyment of humanity nowadays. Maybe it's him wanting to give humanity free will and choice and doing so and God didn't want that 
so he didn't have faith into this action and Lucifer did it anyway and therefore he was cast out. So I'm really, really curious and I do hope that we learn what the actual reasoning was for Lucifer's fall. But then they continue the conversation and again they talk about the plan and Frank says how do you know the plan is finished which again brings us into the what we discussed deeply earlier And to close up the scene, one of my very few complaints about this episode is that Lucifer fell for Father Frank's I just have to call someone and leaving. It was so obvious and Lucifer should have known better. He should have, but I think he was too self-consumed at that moment to pay attention. True. And also he's too egotistical to put someone else's needs as in being protected over his own being wrapped up in his fucking hat. Yeah, I actually get that. Now, we're getting back to a plot line that I completely forgot was happening. <laughs> And, ooh, gun. Did you see that coming? Honestly, I'm trying to put myself into a mind of a first-time viewer. It was only two options, gun or drugs. True, and drugs would be for Malcolm and gun would be for something that Ames is trying to make him to do. Or actually, there was a third option that I expected when I first watched this. We know that Malcolm is a corrupt cop and I thought that in evidence there might be something that ties him to some shit that he did and he was gonna have to clear up some mess. That was actually something that I may have thought before and as i said before this is such a bad idea and dan should be aware of this so i kind of feel like whatever this explodes into at some point he kind of deserves it he kind of does but at the same time i understand that the stakes for him are not just going into jail but going into jail and watching his daughter growing up from jail and losing chloe and i think the way malcolm kind of laid out the dangers of Dan not doing what he wants him to do are very high stakes for Dan. That he doesn't want this to come out. Yeah, but it also shows that he doesn't trust Chloe to protect herself and her daughter. He should have talked with Chloe about this, how to deal with this, because it affects all three of them. Yes, but that would mean that he would admit to trying to kill a cop. To save her life and a corrupt cop. Yeah, but he doesn't... The problem is that if he would have done it straight away, yes. Of course, he dug himself this hole, but... Because he never expected Malcolm to wake up. Nobody expected Malcolm to wake up. Yeah, but he's spiraling deeper and deeper into this mess. But this is such an explicit moment where he should see that it's just gonna get worse and worse and worse. And it's either break out now of the spiral or don't and he didn't and he could have talked with Chloe he could have I think that he feels that he is way too deep into it to actually bring it out like I said for me this is one of the potential final steps before you break out a gun of evidence and give it to you know super dangerous and amoral person this is the latest point where you should just check out and be like okay I'm gonna deal with the consequences and I'm gonna talk to my family how we deal with this I find believable what he is doing and understandable I think that he is at the point that we, he just doesn't see any other option for himself moving on the next scene in my opinion has nothing of merit except being exposition delivered by Mace yep the only thing that and I pointed it out at the beginning I think that at this moment Mazakin is kind of trying to behave the way that she would have behaved if things with Lucifer were okay and he just is not having any of it and it just hurts her even deeper than she was hurt by now. That didn't register for me at all but we've already covered this at length. <laughs> but yeah so that was the moment I was talking about. I like them going back to the realization with the sanctuary was well done. Yes and we can go to the church. I have noticed again what they did before Lucifer and Chloe get involved When Connor is standing there with a the gun and has Father Frank on one side saying everything's gonna be okay, you're not too far gone, it's okay, I'll help you. And having Eric on the other side saying you have to do this, this is the only way you can go on, I will not accept you otherwise. And going the angel demon kind of a thing again, as we had in episode two, back in history. So I just kind of found the framing really nice having the light and dark side and why do people always start shaking with the gun when they're not sure if they're gonna want to shoot somebody because they're so scared but oh, 
Really? Does it mean that you're losing muscle? You're losing control of your body, yes. But like I said, Connor for me is the weakest link in this episode. But like this is not just here. It's like a general thing that everybody does. It's just kind of like, why, why, why? It's a shorthand. It's a trait. Anyway, Tom Ellis' performance when Frank gets shot is so good. His facial expression, his body language, his moving, everything. I was very much into this. I'm getting extremely emotional just thinking about it again. Exactly. This scene got me on the emotional level. And that was mostly due to the performance of Frank and Lucifer and due to the setup of this whole story and scene. When Lucifer grabs the spider by the throat and lifts him one-handedly and presses him to the wall, Chloe does not seem surprised that Lucifer can actually do this. This is hard. You do not lift people by the throat with one hand if you're a human and she doesn't even blink. Yeah, I think she just learned to accept that these little things are gonna happen and she's gonna live in denial about all of them. Yeah, river in Africa. But in that moment, she is the one, again, who brings Lucifer back. It keeps happening and she seems to be the only one we have so far met who is able to do that. And that, I think, is very significant. But even though she is the one to talk him down, when this gets turned for the third time into a crime scene, Chloe tries to get Lucifer to share and he doesn't and this just makes the entire scene at the church even more heartbreaking for me because Lucifer feels very much alone in the entire episode except for the moment at the piano in his penthouse right before Chloe shows up that is the only moment in this episode where he doesn't feel lonely and sad so Chloe basically offering and explicitly giving the olive branch of friendship and him not taking it because he's in too much pain in this moment is... Yeah, this is a good scene. (laughs) A lot of emotions. Even the quotes from there, I don't think that your father put you in my path, he put me in yours. And Lucifer realizing that Frank believed him that he is who he says he is and still treated him like a decent being. I think that is a significant step for Lucifer to become more... More. Just more. More. (laughs) I am tempted to say more human, but that is not strictly true. Exactly. To evolve. Yeah, to evolve from this stereotypical life. To typecasting himself. Yes. To putting himself into this box. To exploring his options. Yeah. And then we have the super strong Lucifer on the balcony. Well, strong in performance-wise. Yes, strong moments, not him being strong. The strong moment with Lucifer on the balcony where he just screams at the high heavens. This is the first time we have Lucifer conversing directly to his father, right? And I like that his penthouse balcony puts him in as close proximity as possible with the heavens, which is a very nice setup. And when he goes with the, you break the rules, you fall, you follow the rules, you still lose. What's the fucking point? I agree with him. What's the fucking point? And this is a rhetorical question. I don't expect you to have an answer to this. <laughs> that would mean having an answer to life. Basically 42. What's the point? 42. So this is very raw. It breaks my heart. And they are not done with breaking our hearts. Oh no, not at all. It just melts into the moment where we start hearing the piano playing Knocking on Heaven's Door again. And because we are watching Chloe and Dan having takeout dinner together, we may get the idea of this being just the song in a background as the way it was played by Frank earlier. But then Chloe decides to go to see Lucifer and in that stage we have the cut and we see that it is actually Lucifer who's playing it. Playing the song that he made fun of when the preacher played it remembering frank i suppose and ah i have goosebumps again and i the verbal confirmation of chloe that she is his friend and her being the one person that is coming to him because in the beginning of the episode linda asks lucifer if he doesn't consider chloe a friend and he says he doesn't know what they are and now he has confirmation that whatever else they might be be or become at this point in time their friends 
Now, I think this is called a Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's gun is a dramatic principle that states that every element in a story must be necessary and irrelevant elements should be removed. So if a gun is shown, this means this gun is gonna have to be used in the future. So it's kind of like the opposite of a red herring. Yes, one must never place a loaded rifle on the stage if it isn't going to go off. And since we now in this episode have the literal gun being put into Malcolm's lap, the last scene for this episode is setting up who he has to shoot with this gun and this was needed to give us the direction this is not just something no this is now gonna become relevant and i'm glad that we get early on we got the official confirmation that ames is the one responsible for bringing malcolm back and also we get confirmation that malcolm was in hell mm -hmm. and now we also get a confirmation of why emanadiel brought him back i have a question why didn't emanadiel tell malcolm from the beginning that he wanted him to kill lucifer why wait until malcolm had a gun also this is in america why was it so difficult to get a fucking gun because he's looking for an untraceable gun yeah but still they're not in texas <laughs> They're in California. True. Sorry, they're not in Texas. I forgot. <laughs> But why didn't Emmanuel tell Malcolm his mission right when he brought him back? I feel like he is keeping him on a needs-to-know basis because he doesn't trust him. There was no reason for Malcolm to know who he was gonna kill. Right before he had the means. Exactly. Okay. So basically, Emmanuel made a deal with Malcolm, just like Lucifer does deals with, hey, I'm gonna take you out of hell and then you're gonna owe me. Look at that more and more... <laughs> The leader of hell with every passing day that he spends on Earth. He's getting quite similar to Lucifer in many, many ways. Well, he's getting quite similar to the concept of black and white Lucifer. Yeah, he's getting close to his perception of Lucifer. Let's put it that way. There we go. Final thoughts. This was an extremely emotional journey for Lucifer. And us. <laughs> And Sorry. us. And it brought up a lot of questions in regard of fate, which was good. And I appreciated that. And even though I'm not a Christian or I don't really have any particular faith, a lot of aspects to Christianity are also very foreign to me. In the end of the day, faith is pretty much designed to give us a moral compass. And this is what I like that this episode gave me is the whole doubting Christianity itself, but taking out the positive things and it can be done good, as we saw with Frank. Just the whole thing, the whole episode made me think about this a lot. So if I could put it in one sentence, it would be, I love this episode because I love Father Frank. It's very simple. And obviously Tom Ellis is an amazing actor. And we get a little sneak peek at Ames' plan, which sucks. Besides the fact that Chloe and Lucifer are deepening their relationship, which was again absolutely amazing. I have a one last question. Hit me. Where the fuck was Trixie? <laughs> How many episodes in a row now that she wasn't around? That's a third one. Okay. I'm getting very pissy about that. There's a really, really good text and I'm not gonna go into where it's from and everything. If someone is interested, just poke me on one of our social medias. Basically, there's a famous story told in Shesidic literature that addresses the question, why did God create atheists? And the master teaches the student that God created everything in the world to be appreciated since everything that is put on earth is here to teach us a lesson. And one of the students asks, what lesson can we learn from atheists? Why did God create atheists? And the master responds, God created atheists to teach us the most important lessons of them all, the lesson of true compassion. You see, when an atheist performs an act of charity, visits someone who is sick, helps someone in need, or cares for the world. He is not doing so because of some religious teaching. He does not believe that God commanded him to perform this act. In fact, he does not believe in God at all. So his acts are based on an inner sense of morality. And look at the kindness he can bestow upon others simply because he feels it to be right. This means that when someone reaches out to you for help, You should never say, I pray that God will help you. Instead, for that moment, you should become an atheist. Imagine that there is no God who can help and say, I will help you. That's beautiful. This is for me what Frank embodies. While he has the faith that there is a plan and a purpose and a reason, he still is the one who acts, who helps, who protects. Yeah. This is the sending thoughts and prayers versus the getting down into the mud and doing things. And I really 
like this story. Yes. And I had to think of this when you just said your final thoughts. Mine are similar. <laughs> it's a surprisingly emotional episode. It really got me, even while talking about it now. Honestly, I saw last week that this was the next episode and I got instantly extremely excited. I did not remember that it got me this much. So this episode really thrives on detailed viewing instead of binging. I have praised the writing and everything, so I don't need to get into this again. I really, really like that Father Frank knew and believed who Lucifer was and still treated him like a human decent man without judgment. And as I said before, if actual religious people were more like Frank, I probably wouldn't mind as much as I do. After watching this episode with the information from Tom Ellis's interviews, I fully understand his statements. And I can see this being the standalone episode. And actually, in the future, I might... When I try to talk people into watching this show, I might actually tell them to just watch this episode. And if they like this episode, then to get into it from the beginning. Yeah. I feel like the parts that get spoiled are not that problematic. So I'm actually gonna use this episode as... If I can only get you to watch one episode of this show, this is the episode that you should watch. I'm a bit disappointed that the Chloe Dan storyline did not move at all. But as I said, I understand that there simply was no space. There's nothing in this episode that I would cut to make room for Chloe Dan. Absolutely not. I'm fully on board with this, but I'm still a bit sad. Like, just give me a longer episode. <laughs> and just like that, I also understand that Linda and Maze's time was cut short. But at least they were still there, opposed to other characters. Wink, wink. I like this episode a lot. Best one so far. And speaking of the best so far, thank you to our patrons. We are leaving the plug for the last moment, but thank you. You are truly the best so far. Thank you. All of our patrons. And yeah, they may have not been as much bonus material last week, but trust me, there will be this time. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> With that being said, thank you all for listening. And if you want to keep in touch with us, you can do so via Twitter. At the Apple of Truth in one word. Or Instagram. At TOT Podcast. And we also have a Facebook page that can be found under both of these names. And our episodes can be found on Spotify and iTunes. Obviously, if you want to know if there's any other ways to get properly involved besides talking all your friends into checking out this show and listening to us, scramble on and on and on. You can find us over at patreon.com slash podcast and check out the sometimes very extensive and sometimes not as extensive uh, bonus material. Bye! Bye! Bye.